Hello, and welcome to Literacy Matters, conversations with me, your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. I am super happy to be here today with Nancy Akavon. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for having me here today. I'm so excited to be with you at Literacy Matters. Great. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, and I would love for our audience to also get to know you. Will you please tell me a little bit about yourself and your literacy journey? Sure. So I have been in education like forever. I'm not going to tell you how long, uh, but when I started teaching, I taught the littles like grades kinder through third grade and worked a lot on reading and teaching children to read in a bilingual program, actually in Spanish. Um, and then I became a principal. I was the principal of three different schools and I coached my teachers myself and did a lot of co-teaching with my teachers in reading. And then I went on to a variety of positions, uh, you know, resource teacher, support teacher, district office positions, where my focus has always been on literacy. And eventually I ended up all the way of supporting high school teachers with students who still had some, some reading needs. So I have taught reading K-12 um, throughout my career and seen a lot of different needs with students. My area of focus with students has been um, the work usually in Title I schools with uh, large demographic groups of students, so very diverse, diverse groups of students, and often students who might be considered historically underserved in education. Um, they, you know, may come from lower socioeconomic status um, and not always have access to the same, I guess, literacy tools or literacy experiences outside of school. So my, my drive has always been to provide students all opportunities to learn to be a reader in school when they're with us every day, because they bring so many gifts to school with them and we need to just enhance their gifts and make sure that they can read well. That's absolutely beautiful. I, I really appreciate that. And um, when we think about that, I'd really love for you, I mean, you, you mentioned this diverse kind of background that you have and working with diverse students. I would love for you to tell me how you might organize reading instruction to make sure that all students yeah. learn to read. Could you share a little sure. bit about that? Sure. So, you know, I laugh because I started teaching reading a long, long, long time ago in the midst of when uh, phonics wasn't as important as a measure, but I always found it to be really important because if the children can't sound out the word and say the word, we're not going to have much luck at figuring out what the words mean, because if they can't say the words to themselves, how can they think through what the words might be saying or what the sentences might be saying? So I believe that um, children need a strong background in phonics. But the other thing I believe is phonics has to be in the context of reading real books. Um, you know, why learn phonics if I don't just put a book in your hand and let you practice right away? And the joy when you see students be able to read a sentence in a book and they know they're reading it, there is nothing like it. There is nothing better than, than experiencing that sitting alongside students. So I really believe in phonics instruction, but I also believe in putting books in their hands immediately so that they can practice their phonics and then they can think through the meaning of, of what the words are saying to them. And then there's purpose to both pieces, the phonics and figuring out what the words are saying. Hmm, 
That's a really, you know, when, when we think about teaching phonics, oftentimes we, we know, obviously we teach it in isolation and I'm lo loving that you're talking about teaching it in context so that should be connected to text in some way. Why does that make so much sense <laughs> to teach phonics well, when you yeah, think about well, like, that context of reading? Yeah. I'm so glad you're asking because I, it takes me way back to my first grade classroom and I was in uh, teaching first grade at a time when phonics wasn't as popular. Um, but in the closet, there was this old adoption that had the decodable readers in it. So in my small groups that I was running, I'd bring the decodable readers to the table and we'd have the whole group phonics instruction, but the children could at the table with me practice in real books, um, uh, using the sounds that they learned to make meaning through the decodable readers. And then I would hand them a book that we would think of today as a leveled book. Um, and then they could practice their reading in the leveled book, which wasn't, of course, a decodable reader. But they were finding out that they really could figure out what the words were saying, because then they could focus on what the words and were meet, what the words meant, um, what the sentences meant, and what the book as a, whole, as a whole meant. And of course, every little level text has some sort of little aha moment or joke or something interesting if it's nonfiction. So I found it's really a blend of all of those things. It's not one or the other. It has to be all. Absolutely. Love that. And so you've been talking about, um, since you have a long career in teaching reading, you've been talking about these kind of pendulum shifts, right, when it comes yes, to yes, um, yes. the theories and models as it relates to reading. So concerning the science of reading, what reading models or theories inform your ideas on how teachers can most effectively teach those primary grade students to read, to write, to spell, um, especially those students who might be struggling? Well, thanks for asking. I think it's such an important question. I have used the Scarborough's reading rope for actually a long time. I know it's really popular right now, but to me, it is a simple graphic way to help uh, teachers new to teaching reading, whether they may be uh, veteran teachers that taught in upper grades um, and now have more readers that are coming up to them that need help, or maybe they've just moved to a lower grade and it's their first time really le you know, learning to teach reading. But Scarborough's really reading rope is really helpful because you can see that there it takes both strands. It takes the decoding piece and it takes the, the, the language piece woven together to help students be a reader. Because if they can decode, decode, but they don't know what the words mean, they're really not reading, they're just decoding. So they, they need to decode, they need to be able to say the words out loud, hear the words themselves, think through the words, in, in their minds and then realize the meaning that the text is giving to them and that they're bringing to the text. Um, and it comes to another theory that I have um, relied on for, for years is Rosenblatt's reader response theory because Rosenblatt talked about the fact that the reader brings meaning to the text that they're reading and meaning making is really an interchange between the reader and the text. So for instance, if we were, Cheryl, to pick up an adult level of reading of something, a novel or maybe even a poem, I'm going to take meaning from it that's going to be different than the meaning you're going to take from it, right. Cheryl, because we have different lived experiences. We have different life experiences, right? Sure. And um, we have different perspectives. And all those gifts, all those beautiful things that children bring to the classroom with them help them make meaning of what they're reading. And I think that that is another thing that's so important to me is 
people need to see the assets that children bring to the classroom and how their assets help them understand what they're reading. So often I hear teachers say, well, the students don't have the background knowledge that they need to understand this text. And I said, well, they have a lot of background knowledge. It just may not match the text. So give them the background knowledge they need to understand the text before you even start reading it. And then let them think through all of their lived experiences, all the knowledge that they do bring and, and, and make meaning from what they're reading. I don't think that there really is one meaning anyone can ever take from a text. And I really would argue with my old high school teachers that wanted their one answer, <laughs> that there never is one answer that comes from, from reading, even if it's a simple little leveled text. Sure. You know, I in talk, I was uh, doing a workshop with Deborah Reed and she talked about children not being um, empty vessels, no matter, you know, what their no, language is, you know, they come to school knowing something, right? They and all they, come with so do. much. They do. So much. And, you know, and that brings me to one I didn't talk about, which is that, you know, the science of reading and the simple view of reading. And I really believe the simple view of reading is basically correct. However, where I really like to add to the simple view of reading is this, this asset-based view of children. Because yeah. I know that every child brings so much knowledge about the world and every child's knowledge about the world is slightly different. That really makes a difference when it comes to the language comprehension part of the simple view of reading. Because my schema, the knowledge that I have about the world is gonna be slightly different than every other person. So the language comprehension, the way I'm taking in language and processing language, I'm going to think slightly differently. So mm -hmm. I actually do believe in the simple view of reading, but I think it goes a little bit deeper when we look at the assets that children bring to, um, to reading, assets that children bring to the classroom with the knowledge that they have and things that they can talk and think about. Sure, I really, I really appreciate that kind of extension of the simple view um, of reading when it comes to that, that equation that's super important. Yes, yes. Um, so now you you mentioned also you were talking as you were talking about Scarborough's rope in that strand and you kept talking about comprehension as well which you mentioned um, sometimes phonics and comprehension don't always come up in the same conversation right um, but when I love the way that Scarborough certainly um, depicts it can you crack open for us what language comprehension really entails and how it comes to play during actual instruction. Yeah, yeah. So really the first thing that comes to play is the background knowledge or the prior schema that students have. And that's why I often tell teachers, if you don't think they have it, then let's have a discussion. Let's pull up some YouTube videos. Let's pull up some pictures. Let's talk through the topics that might be presented in a book so the children can build their own knowledge before they start reading. So background knowledge is so important. And then of course, if they're reading nonfiction, they're gonna be adding to the background knowledge that they have or that you've developed as they're reading. And that just pairs with vocabulary. So, so many times I look at teachers say, they don't know the vocabulary. Well, first, do they have the background knowledge? If they don't, you need to provide a foundation. And then we need to talk about the vocabulary because we got, we learn vocabulary through reading, but we also learn vocabulary through direct vocabulary instruction, but we can't instruct on every word. So we need to teach the most important words in a book, not every single word they may not know, mm -hmm. but the most important ones that is gonna help them comprehend. Um, I think a lot of that comes from 
or language development. Talking with students a lot about the book they're going to read, about the topics that might be in the book, about the themes, or if it's nonfiction, the information. And sometimes, like I, I used to teach in a late exit bilingual program, so often we would stop and slow down and just talk about the syntax and the grammar because it wasn't always familiar for the students if they were reading in English and they were a Spanish speaker, or they could read in Spanish but now they were learning to read in English. We would often slow down and just have conversations around the grammar to develop that those oral language skills um, and develop the knowledge they need orally before they start start reading. So I think that the more students know about the world, the more they're they're going to be able to comprehend what they read. So it's so important to ensure that we're pulling topics from social studies, from science, even from literature, and having deep conversations so that students can learn about things are, that are interesting, can build their background knowledge, and can bring all of that to the table when they're reading. I hope that makes sense. It was kind of like a long answer, but I hope it makes sense. Well, I think it certainly does. You talked about really making sure that you are incorporating these disciplines for sure. Um, which I think speaks almost to thematic, um, you know, instruction. It does. Right? Yeah. It awesome. does. And it speaks also to all those years that a lot of us felt like I have to teach reading all and writing all day and I don't have time for science and social studies. But science and social studies teach children to comprehend the topics and ideas that they come across in reading. So they really go hand in hand. Yeah, it gives them an opportunity to also practice those important phonics skills within <laughs> context, right? So Exactly, yeah. Because again, okay. if they can't say the words, how are they going to figure out what they mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you've talked about oral language and building vocabulary and comprehension and, and you know, building background knowledge, all of these kind of big things. How does a teacher keep all these balls in the air day to day and week to week? Well, I have been writing now for 20 years. So all of the books that I've put out have led me down many different avenues of research. I've done lots of research in different areas of reading and, and writing instruction. So through those years, I've developed a framework that I call the Lit Six, Six Elements for Literacy, the Lit Six. So the six elements are um, read aloud, shared reading, small group reading. I used to call that guided reading, but I don't anymore because people just put in their head guided reading. But what I mean is we're guiding the reading. So I just say small group. And that's where I attach independent reading because truly the reason for small group instruction is to develop independent readers because otherwise, right. why are we doing it? Right. So read aloud, shared reading, small group instruction with independent reading, phonemic awareness, phonics, and then word work as students get older with multisyllabic words writing and then language and language being the grammar the syntax but also for students who are multilingual learners english language development these six components i have researched over and over and over again and seen in programs in classrooms when all six components are in place and strong um, students read to learn to read at higher levels than in classrooms when some of these elements are missing. So what I've helped teachers with a lot is you just have to remember six elements, just six every day do you have them going on. 
Um, and uh, sometimes you may want to take a deeper dive and pull out one of those. Like, I'm going to take a deeper dive into shared reading and really look, look, look what's going on and maybe do a close reading with students. Or sometimes I might take a deeper dive in my small group reading and, and bring in something from my whole group phonics and teach it at my small group table. But at a surface level, if I just make sure I have all six parts in place, then I've got the lit six framework going sure. and I can worry about going deeper in something when I'm feeling like my kids need more or I'm ready to discover more for myself. So to keep all the balls in the air, six elements, just six is going to create strong, independent readers and writers. That's a great way to think. Of. So lit six. Lit six. Uh, I love that. You know, can, can we actually break down a couple of these lit, lit six? Would it be okay? Like, yes. Yes. I want to I talk specifically about those first uh, three that you mentioned, uh, read aloud, uh, shared reading, and small group, which leads mm -hmm. you know, to independent mm -hmm. reading. Um, what are the differences between those three things? Right. Okay. Great question. So a read aloud is where the teacher is holding the text and controlling the text and students are listening. Students don't see the text in the read aloud. And people really often don't know the difference between a read aloud and a shared reading. But in a read aloud, I mean, we think of uh, primary classes, teachers might be reading picture books and upper grade classes, teachers might be reading from a chapter book, but sometimes it could be nonfiction as well. But the students don't see the words, they're listening. So what that's developing for students is listening comprehension. It is a great help for students who might need additional support in reading, who might have some special need in reading where they are having a little bit of trouble with the phonics or they're having a little bit of trouble with figuring out how to decode words. A read alouds can help make sure we're developing comprehension while they're still learning to decode. So important. It also exposes them to higher levels of vocabulary than what they can read by themselves. And any good read aloud, we stop and we talk about the topics, the themes, the ideas, the information with students. So that develops that background knowledge as well. Now, a shared reading, students can see the text. So students and teachers are reading together. So we think about this in primary grades. It could be a big book. It could be a teacher putting a, a paragraph up on a doc camera. This, the class reading together and the teacher stopping and discussing vocabulary or asking the students to discuss the big ideas in the text. But as students get older, it's a close reading. Like sh a shared reading is a close reading and a close reading is a shared reading because we can all see the text and we're all working through it together and we're digging into the deep meaning and purpose of what this text is, is about and, and what it's saying to us. So a shared reading the teacher really is the model for the reading still, and the students are following along. Sometimes in a shared reading, it's student to student. So you may be pairing a stronger reader with a reader that needs more support in their reading along together and thinking through text together. But basically they're sharing that text together. Now, small group instruction is a time to follow up on students' differentiated skills. So I may need more help in phonics, or I may need more help with comprehension, or I may even need more help in encoding, which is I can hear the sounds in the words, I know the letters, I'm going to write some sentences about what I've just read. But it really is the teacher's time to coach the students to become independent with the skills that they've been teaching whole class. Um, I really believe that if small group instruction isn't going on in a classroom, we don't have a complete reading program in place because mm -hmm. 
how do my needs get met as a reader, right? Um, and it's too overwhelming for teachers to think of, if I have 32 students, you're not gonna meet specifically every student, 32 students needs, but you can group them in, in with like needs that they have. Like maybe they're all working on a particular, you know, maybe they're working on a particular digraph or diphthong set, or perhaps they're, they're working to, to blend, or they might be working to, um, you know, do a stop think, uh, say as a as a paraphrasing technique for comprehension. Yeah. Um, so I really encourage teachers to to gather students together in small group and help them with their skills and give them feedback in the moment while they're there with you at the reading table. And and I like to say small group instruction because like when I used to say guided instruction, people would just think guided reading. But I don't want to stick students in a level and leave them there. Right. So you know, we might be reading in a range of levels. Now, the other thing I can tell you, we all know about the zone of proximal development. So I can't hand a student a book that is so far out of their zone of proximal development, they're going to be frustrated. That would be a shared reading. Like, let's do it together. We can do it. We can do it together. Right. But when I'm working on developing you as an independent reader, I'm going to give you something in a range that I think you can handle, right? So it builds your confidence. It builds your ability to read this and to feel strong in your reading ability and to be excited to read it and then to move on to the next thing. Because becoming a better reader is about reading practice. It's about the skills and then practicing those skills. And that takes us right back to the beginning when I said they have to practice on it with real books. Yeah. Because um, if I'm practicing skills just to practice skills, like what, what good is it, right? I need to be able to read. So. Thank you so much. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for really um, diving a little deeper in your, mm -hmm. your first three of your lit six. I appreciate it. I think, think people will really um, take, take that to heart and, uh, and really see the, the true difference for sure. Mm -hmm. well, now, um, as we close, I'd love for us to think about what advice you would give teachers and families when it comes to really wanting to foster children into those stronger readers and stronger writers. So the first advice I have to teachers is focus on the lit six, focus on all six parts, sure. but make sure students have time for independent reading every day. I've had so many teachers tell me they feel pressured by administrators to not have a sustained independent reading time every day because the, the administrators want to see something on the desk. They want to see something that the student's doing. And I think it's a great conversation to have with the administrator. I was a principal of three different schools, so I learned as much from my teachers as they learned from me. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if, if the administrator really wants something on the desk, then put a reading journal and let the students write a short reflection about what they read for the day. But just time to read. We know that the more students read, more minutes students read per day, the stronger the reader they will be, the larger the vocabularies will be, and the better they will score on standardized type text that we give. So I think that is so important. Um, and, and for parents, it is so important to have books around the house. And many, many, many families I've worked with didn't have books around the house. So often we would help them uh, get a library card, or we take them to the library so that they could feel comfortable at the library. And um, I often recommend for families, if you don't know what level 
your kids read at, just let them pick books they find interesting and fun. Yeah. And if you can't read, because I've worked with so many families where the, the parents or the caregivers don't read, then look at, get picture books and talk about the pictures in the book that you see with kids. Just talk about what you see in text. You don't have to always read it with them because not all of our families have the same literacy backgrounds as others. Sure. Um, there's so many experiences we can give our students just by going to the library, looking at books, talking about things. And the other advice I have for families, because it, going to the library may just be even too hard. Talk to your children. The more we talk to them about things in life that we're doing. Um, I work in a, a community with a very many people from um, Mexico. They immigrate from Mexico. Um, so a large Hispanic population. Um, the families that I've worked with for years always have a tradition of making tamales at Christmas. Well, get your children involved and talk about it. Or maybe mm -hmm. it's just Sunday dinner and everyone's coming over and you're making enchiladas or you're making tacos. Talk about those things that you're doing. I think sometimes parents don't know the power of just talk with children and how developing oral language in any language you speak develops children to be strong readers and writers in English also. That is incredible advice um, and really practical advice. Thank you so much for your expertise and your knowledge and really your passion for this Thank work. You, it's been a Thank joy you. having you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciated spending time with you today. Of course, likewise. <laughs>